So I am, we're doing the Eightfold Path, and tonight we're continuing with part two of mindfulness, which is the seventh factor of uh, the Eightfold Path. It's part of the, the last section of um, the Eightfold Path, which is the samadhi or concentration section, and it's right effort, right mindfulness, right concentration, right samadhi. And um, mindfulness is so big, um, it was really silly to try and stuff it into one um, class. I mean, I've done, if you talk about the foundations of mindfulness, I've done that, you know, one week per foundation. And as I mentioned last week, there's, you know, books and books and books written just on mindfulness. And Joseph Goldstein has 38 Dharma talks on mindfulness. So it, uh, you can do it in an hour or you can take 38 hours. Um, so last week I talked about pretty much the broad outline of what mindfulness is. And it's, it's, or sati is the word in Pali. I might, I might say sati as well sometimes, and I'll use that interchangeably with mindfulness. But it's the immediacy of our experience. It's being fully present in the moment with what's happening. It's being right here where we're not so often, much of the time we're somewhere else. So to have the immediacy of experience and it's supported by the Eightfold Path. You have um, the, through, the, the, the clarity of right view, seeing clearly when we're caught up in something else and setting an intention to be present and to, be, to let go of what, what takes us away and what doesn't serve and to be kind and to be um, compassionate. And it's supported by integrity you know, right action and right livelihood and um, um, uh, right speech, that um, all of those support mindfulness, the clarity and the being present and, and doing things wisely. And then mindfulness supports all of the path. I mean, it's this real symbiotic relationship where they support this complementary relationship where mindfulness supports the path and the path supports mindfulness. We can't really have anything unless we're paying attention. Because if we're not paying attention, who knows where we are, what we're doing, knocked around by our, our, our reactions, by our habits, which may not be appropriate in the moment. Um, and, it, and mindfulness offers us a framework for experience, for just seeing things where we are, finding really mechanisms for being present because it's as you know it's not easy to be present all the time it's really challenging because the mind is those habits of mind are so strong and take us away so with the mindfulness in the in the satipatthana sutta the buddha has offered us mechanisms for staying present and i talked a little bit last week about the first foundation of mindfulness which is the sutta the four foundations or the the four establishments of mindfulness, and the first one is um, breath and body. And you know, we've all started with the breath awareness, breathing in, breathing out. That's, that's really a very common form of mindfulness practice, meditation practice, in-breath, out-breath, in-breath, out-breath, being with the immediacy of our breath. That's absolutely um, keeps us present. 
And then the, we're grounded in the body. I mean, we're often walk around this world cut off, disconnected. We're in our head so much, we're not aware of what's happening in the body. And so this teaching of uh, the first foundation um, invites us to reconnect with the body, to uh, be present with the experiences of the body, to meditate on the 32 parts of the body, the blood and the pus and the teeth and the bones and the skin and the, the other exciting parts of the body. Um, and to let go of these attachments we have to the body. And then there's meditation on death and there's cemetery meditations. It's a real, and then there's meditation on the elements, air, water, fire, earth. I think I got them all. Um, that keep us really grounded and also recognize that we are not these bodies. These bodies are just part of nature um, that will um, pass away, like everything else passes away, but we can tend to be so, so, um, so connected to them or so attached to them. So, um, so that's the first foundation. And I talked, as I said, more about that last week. I want to get in now to the second foundation, which is Vedana, which is the Pali word, which I like, or feeling tone, and which can be an awkward phrase because none of us use feeling tone as, a, as the way we speak. Feeling is not feelings as in happy, sad. It's in recognizing whether our experience is pleasant or unpleasant or neither. It's this, this, this foundation is so important. It is so important. I think it's one of the most important teachings and places to uh, understand, things to understand in, in all of Buddha's teachings because it, it can drive everything else. It can drive everything else. It's a precursor to all our actions, to all our thoughts. If, if we're not paying attention, a precursor to doing things we may not want to do because we might be habitually reacting in ways that we have decided may not serve us. Like, I really don't want to yell at people. I don't want to call them names. I don't want to flip people off on the freeway. But if I'm not paying attention, I'm just going to react a lot of times. So what all in, in Buddhist teachings, there are the six senses. There's sight, sound, smell, taste, touch, and thought. And they're engaged when we come into contact with something. A, a sensory object, like I see something, I hear something, I smell something, I taste something, I think something. A thought passes through my mind. There's a sensory experience and an awareness of it, and it can trigger, um, depending on whether it's, well, it can trigger greed or, or um, craving or just wandering into delusion. These, what they're called latent defilements, if I'm not paying attention. Um, when things are unpleasant, we tend to move into a, an aversive relationship. We have, I don't want that. Push that away. How do I stop that? How do I fix that? How do I make that end? You, it's your fault. I'm going to punch you in the face because you're making me uncomfortable or whatever it is. If something's pleasant, 
That's a nice smell. That's a nice sound. I want to go there. Ooh, shiny over there. Uh, we, we tend to go towards it. If a feeling is pleasant, we want to keep it. If we're, and then oftentimes if things are neutral, um, it's, we a lot of times think of it as boredom because there's, we're much more uh, aware of things that are pleasant or unpleasant. And when things are just kind of bored, we're like, hmm, I'd rather have something else. And so we just kind of tend to wander away. And so that's when we get into delusion. And so to be aware of these points of contact, to be aware when things are pleasant or unpleasant, which is why we give that instruction in meditation, is to recognize that, okay, I shouldn't, this is unpleasant, and I might have a tendency to move in a particular direction. And we, instead of just reacting, we pause. We pause before reacting. Um, because when we pause, that gives us the power to change our, res we can respond rather than react. Bhikkhu Bodhi, in his book, The Eightfold Path, has a, a paragraph about this. He talks about the link between feelings and the defilements, which is greed, hatred, and um, delusion. Greed, aversion, craving, and aversion, anger, hatred. The link between feelings and the defilements is not a necessary one. Pleasure does not always have to lead to greed, pain to aversion, and neutral feeling to delusion. The tide between them can be snapped, and one essential means for snapping it is mindfulness, paying attention to what's happening. Feeling will stir up a defilement only when it is not noticed, when it is indulged rather than observed. By turning it into an object of observation, mindfulness diffuses the feeling so that it cannot provoke an unwholesome response. Then instead of relating to the feeling by way of habit through attachment, repulsion, or apathy, we relate by way of contemplation using the feeling as a springboard for understanding the nature of experience. So when we have an experience that's unpleasant, instead of going into whatever, whatever the experience is, whatever our, our, our natural or habitual reaction is, we pause. We go, oh, I don't have to do that. And, and in, the, in the Satipatthana Sutta, it talks about internal or external. And this comes into play with feeling tone. You have, you're talking to someone or you see something and it's an unpleasant experience. You have this awareness, this mindfulness of unpleasant. There's a pain here. Or there's, a, there's a, a, an experience of, um, you know, whatever kind of unpleasant experience. You smell something that ugh, is a little bit off or you taste something that doesn't taste good or you hear something that's like, um we have habitual responses, reactions. Whereas when we have that internal awareness, it's like, oh, this is unpleasant. I might, if it's unpleasant, if you're saying something to me that I might not like, like I had an experience a couple of months ago where somebody was telling me something that I knew wasn't true. And I was having this, this I was feeling it's like, oh, this is unpleasant because I know I'm being lied to. And internally, I had that awareness. I didn't yell out liar, because that, that I don't think would serve anything. Um, 
instead I just re I reacted in a different way. I was actually quiet and let them finish what they were saying and, and recognize that it actually wasn't beneficial to get into a conversation about it because when I did, they became very defensive. And so I just said, okay, this is unpleasant to have this knowledge of that what they're saying is not true. And externally, I can respond in a way that doesn't cause harm, that's wise, that doesn't, you know, you know, cause a ruckus or whatever. I don't in get entangled in this experience. I can engage with it. I can feel what that's like internally, but I don't have to lash out or push or move into some kind of aversive uh, reaction. So you can see the importance of this because when we're not paying attention, we have all these habits that have built up over the years, how we handle things. And if we're, we don't want to keep doing things that keep causing suffering. This, the, the mindfulness takes us away from suffering. What the Buddha says, it helps um, the Satipatthana Sutta, the mindfulness practice, helps us overcome grief and sorrow and pain, anxiety, and realize the highest happiness. But only if we participate in it. It's not something we go, and it happens to us. We have to take action and make effort. So this is supported by right effort, paying attention and responding wisely. And when we do that, we can see the transitory nature of feeling tone. Feeling unpleasant arises, it passes. It's when we grab onto it that it lingers. If I had gotten into it with this person, who knows where we would have ended up, how long it would have lasted. Instead, I was like, oh, this is unpleasant. And then when I recognized it and I realized I didn't have to engage, it kind of went away. But if I got into engaging, it just would have made it, intensified it. So it frees us. I was at a retreat last year and the nuns um, talked about um, the four foundations and Ayasanta Chitta. One of the nuns said this, this feeling tone practice. And what does she say? It frees us from the history of our conditioning from all this baggage we carry, these ideas about why things are supposed to be a certain way, we can just let go. We can let go. It, it breaks the reactivity that we so often are caught in. When we go, why do I keep doing that? Why do I keep saying that? Why do blah, 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 blah? It's because when we're, sometimes we're not paying attention. So to pay attention allows us to access that freedom. You know, and pain... Pleasant cannot, is not always a, pleasant doesn't always lead to craving. We can rest in something that's pleasant. In fact, I'll get into that in a little bit. You know, joy, tranquility is or one of some of the awakening factors. Oh, this is pleasant. Let me just be here. Doesn't mean we have to have more. And pain doesn't always lead to aversion. If something is, is painful, we can just engage without being entangled. Oh, okay, let me be with this discomfort. I don't have to get into an adversarial relationship with it. It's, it's really interesting when we shift perspective. Um, and of course, um, I, I can never move past t talking about this um, um, 
part of the mindfulness of the Satipatthana Sutta without going to um, Viktor Frankl's quote about it, which which absolutely um, is about uh, feeling tone. And Viktor Frankl was a, a Holocaust survivor, and I think he was a psychotherapist or a psychologist, and he wrote a lot. He wrote Man's Search for Meaning, but one of the one of his famous quotes is. Between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. Between stimulus, that contact with the object and the response, there is that space. And that's what this is, that's what... um, this second foundation is all about. That's what Vedana is all about. Paying attention, pausing, and responding wisely. So that's the, that's the second factor. The third factor is recognizing the moods of the mind, the states of the mind. Um, and again, it's, it's pa- mindfulness, paying attention. What is the mood of the mind? Um, in the in the sutta, the Buddha says things like, "Know a mind with anger, know a mind without anger. You know, know a mind with joy or happiness, know a mind without happiness. Know what's present, and what may not be present. Know what the experiences of each of them, and not that we put it on going, I am angry, but what's present, what's arising, what what conditioned response." is showing up, what conditioned reaction is showing up. We, um, our states of mind are conditional based on our, our familial conditioning, our cultural, our societal conditioning. That's what comes up. And so to recognize these things when they show up the, um, is, again, a way to work with them without becoming entangled in them. When we're not paying attention, it's so easy to become overcome with the emotions, with the feelings, take them on. I am angry. I am jealous. I am whatever. Instead of going, wow, this is what's showing up. And one of the best teachings around this that I've found is the one of Thich Nhat Hanh when he talks about the seeds of consciousness. And... Um, we are condition. It's like our conditioning, the experiences we have in our life, plant things in wherever they plant them in our bodies, wherever they are. Although the the body is oftentimes where these things uh, rest. Where you know the the famous book, the body keeps the score about trauma kept in the body. So these these experiences we have, like being told, you know. Don't speak unless you're, you know, my experience was I not to speak unless I knew I was going to be right. So I just would, you know, I'm afraid I don't know the answer. So I'm terrified. So blah, 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 whatever it is. Or if we're told, you know, anger is bad. So if we're feeling anger, we like stuff it down or whatever stories or teachings we've had or um, societal teachings, cultural Um those plant seeds. And when the conditions are right, just if you think of a garden, and the conditions are right, they blossom. Like like if you see someone who has something shiny and you think it's attractive, sometimes jealousy arises. 
instead of going, oh, I'm jealous, I'm a bad person, jealousy is bad, don't I know more than better than this, because I'm a, I've been studying this stuff for years, so how can this still show up, blah, 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 blah. It just did. We can't help it. When fear arises, we can't say, oh, I shouldn't, I shouldn't be afraid. I shouldn't be anxious. I shouldn't feel these things. I shouldn't be happy now. There's so much sadness in the world. I should be somber. I can't experience joy. We cannot pick and choose what emotions arise, what the, what the mood of the mind is, but how we work with them is what's in our control, is what we have, what we have agency over. And so we are mindful without identifying, without saying, I am just like, wow, this is what's showing up right now. I am, um, and I, I know oftentimes I'll go, wow, this, this thing is hanging out. Here's this anger. I don't know how long it's going to be here. It's going to go someday because everything passes, but I'm going to just hang out, let it sit right here on my chest for as long as it's going to sit here. Um, and I did a retreat earlier this year with Bhikkhu Analio, who who's a, a monk, and he wrote all these things on um, the Satipatthana. Uh, the the sutta he's really very very wise and smart and he talked about this and he says one of his the his seeds that gets that blossoms on a regular basis is conceit and he says sometimes he looks at a bookcase because he's written a lot of books he's like really a brainiac and he'll look at the bookcase and go oh look at that i'm really smart and then he'll go oh conceit conceit is present you know, or conceit is not, or, or he can look at the bookcase and just see it as a bookcase and go, oh, conceit is not present. So even some guy who's been a monk for many, many years, who's incredibly wise in this, he can't help it shows up. So really there's some kindness and gentleness in this practice as well, which is really important because oftentimes we hear this, you're not supposed to feel that. And that's not true. Y you feel it but you've developed the wisdom to work with it without letting it take over, without becoming overcome by it. You know, we recognize the quality of the mind. What does it feel like? I mean, a few years ago, I recognized crankiness. I would get cranky because of being tired or whatever reason, and I would just be snippy and this and that and that, and then think I was, oh, Mary, what's wrong with you? And then one day I went, oh, this is crankiness. And that shifts the perspective. Oh, and now when I get cranky, I go, oh, cranky, okay, be aware of that. And, and it kind of a lot of times diffuses the experience. Not I am, but it's cranky. So we, the identification lessens. And, um, you know, it's, it's an honest acknowledgement of our emotions, you know, it's not about shame or judgment. It's just acknowledging what's here. There's no need to suppress them. We don't let them take over, but we don't suppress them. We acknowledge them, which is so healthy and so important. And it's not bypassing either. Bypassing is, I'm going to meditate and make them go away. That may not happen. You know, acknowledge what's present. So important. And then... Um, who is it? There's another monk, Utejaniya, who's a Burmese monk, and he talks about mindfulness is like tending to a garden. 
which fits in that same image of, of seeds of consciousness growing. If we don't pay attention, it's going to be overgrown with weeds. We have to tend to it. And I love, you know, um, our conditioning is not our fault. We can't help what happens to us in our lives, the things that occur, the family we were born into, the culture we are born into, the society, the messages we receive, the experiences we have. However, we are responsible for working with those conditions, for learning to recognize them and to, to, to work with them in a way that they don't cause harm for ourselves or others and we get to a place of healing, which can happen, which absolutely can happen. And then the fourth foundation is mindfulness of the dhammas, which just means mindfulness of the, all the phenomena that are happening, mindfulness of uh, the principles of reality, what is real. And in the, in the, in the sutta, there are five sets. Of, of course, there's numbers inside of numbers. There's the five aggregates, which are form, feeling, tone, um, perception, um, consciousness, I always forget, um, form, sensations, perceptions, mental activity or formations, and consciousness. And then, so there's the aggregates, there's the sense bases, which is smell, sight, sound, thought. Um, there's the seven factors of awakening, there's the five hindrances, and there's the four noble truths. Um, they're not all, all of them are not included in all the, 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 the old copies of the Satipatthana Sutta we have. So I'm not going to get into all of them. And then I really like what Bhikkhu Anali of the monk I was talking about, talked about um, in the retreat we were, I was on with him. And he has this book called um, Satipatthana, A Practice Guide, which is really, really helpful. He says... And I think the nuns um, that I sat with last year were also talking about this. Really, what you want to know in this teaching is what prevents awakening and what facilitates awakening. And so you can focus on the hindrances and the factors of awakening. The others come into play, but they, they come in here and there and there and here, and you get them in as you move through the world. But to really, I think, it's, it suffices in this, in this foundation to just look at the hindrances because the hindrances are what prevent awakening. That's when we are caught up in craving, lust, wanting things, when we are caught up in, you know, or aversion, anger, not wanting things. So those are two sides of the same coin. When we're caught up in, in restlessness and worry, when we're agitated and, ah, what's going to happen, ah, or... The other side of that coin is dullness, sleepiness, torpor, just this checking out, this numbing. So that's the flip side. And then doubt, this questioning of everything. So those five things get in our way. That is what, you know, uh, hinders, that's why they're the hindrances, our awakening. Because when we're caught up in craving or aversion or we're caught up in worry, we're not in the present. We're somewhere else. All of these hindrances take us away from the present moment. They take us to the future, the past, wherever. And so to recognize when they're present. You know? And to recognize when they're not present. Just as the moods of the mind, recognizing when anger is present or not present, 
know when they're not present. Um, recognizing, oh, look, this is, this is restlessness. Again, sometimes having that perspective shifts it and allows you to develop a different relationship with it rather than being caught up and just entangled. And in, in Tara Brock ta talks about the trance, entranced by these things. We, we see clearly what's going on and we can step back. And recognizing when they're not present, because when they're not present, when you're not caught up in craving or aversion or restlessness or, or sleepiness or doubt, recognize that most likely some of those factors of awakening are there. Because the factors of awakening are mindfulness. If you're caught up in the hindrances, you're not mindful. The next factor of awakening, investigation, recognizing what's going on here. Next factor is um, energy, bringing the effort to stay present, to stay, stay with, stay engaged in the moment. If you find yourself drifting, bring yourself back. And then what happens, you begin to experience joy. Even in the middle of discomfort, there can be joy because you're in this place of you're not fighting it. You're not having an aversive ex, uh, interaction with what's the reality of the moment. You're fully with the reality. So there can be this sense of joy. And then there's this tranquility that comes again. There's this ease with this balance. With when you are fully, um, fully, what was the, the phrase that I liked was the immediacy of the experience. When you're in the immediacy of the experience, you're just in the experience with that investigative curiosity. What is this? Oh, let me just be, oh, the coming and the going. What's this? Um, and then there's the, the collectedness of the mind because you're fully present and then equanimity this real ability to be intimate with the moment without a preference. So when there's not a hindrance, begin to recognize, is there joy here? Is there mindfulness? So you, you begin to move towards freedom, move towards liberation, disentangle ourselves from the places we get caught and snagged. Those, those, that baggage that we carry, the fixed ideas that, of the way we think things need to be. So knowing when things are present, arousing joy, it's okay to do that. It's okay to have joy. When it's present, be with it. So when we're, when we're in this place, we have a heightened awareness. There, we see the bigger picture. We see the conditionality of things. Because of this, this arises. You don't have to take everything so personally. You know, we begin to understand the mental states, which, which lead to dukkha and suffering and which lead to freedom. You know? And we begin to align ourselves with attention and awareness. Oh, that's taking me, I know that's going to lead me down into that, that old, tired daydream. That doesn't serve any purpose. Can I let that go? And cultivate the collectedness of the mind. Which leads to equanimity, which is that engagement without entanglement. 
It's such a lovely phrase. I'm so happy I wrote it down when they said it. You know, that engagement without entanglement. It, it allows us this spaciousness. It allows for open-heartedness. It's really um, the place of liberation. So those are my thoughts on the, the th last three uh, factors of uh, mindfulness, the, the establishments of mindfulness. So thank you all so much for paying attention. Thank you for visiting Undefended Dharma. These teachings are freely offered. However, if you would like to make a donation to help support the technology that makes these podcasts possible, please visit marystancavage.org backslash support. Thank you.